Hi there, welcome back to another session at the Ignite Your Wellness podcast where we help overwhelmed entrepreneurs level up their yoga practice to achieve more successful results in their business by reducing distracting aches, stress, and exhaustion. Today I have a very special guest, Miss Sullivan, who actually proves in some ways my passions, my work. The work of integrating yoga and physical therapy and the benefits of yoga, the meditation practice, uh, asana, and so much more. I'm so excited to bring um, her, her information to the podcast today. Very excited for you to hear all that she's doing. She's written several articles and books. In fact, at the time that we recorded the podcast, her newest book had not been released yet, but it is available now on Amazon. I won't keep you in suspense. You can hear more about her book, her teachings, and her research in this episode. I hope you enjoy. All right. Welcome, Marlisa. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. It's quite an honor. You're doing a lot of work these days. Can you share with us all that you're doing? Yes, thank you so much for having me be part of your podcast. I'm excited to talk to you. I um, I'm a assistant professor at Maryland University of Integrative Health in the Masters of Science in Yoga Therapy program. I also teach an elective at Emory for the physical therapy students on integrating yoga and meditation into PT practice. Um, I have several uh, research papers. And I have two books. One is coming out in a couple of weeks, May 7th, mm. and it's called Understanding Yoga Therapy, Applied Philosophy and Science for Well-Being, where we go into depth about the philosophy that informs yoga therapy from yoga, the science behind that, that parallels the f- philosophical principles, and then a way to look at yoga more holistically as we practice. And then I have another book I co-edited with two PTs, uh, Neil Pearson and Shelley Prosco, um, called Yoga and Science and Pain Care. Yes, I love that. I love the, the collaborative book. It's one of my favorites, and I can't wait to get this new book coming up. It's all my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you have uh, two areas of research, is that correct? Yeah, I have. Um, so my main two, what really my interest has been in how do we understand yoga as a dis- or yoga therapy to be more particular as a distinct and unique profession that really makes it something different than what we're doing in physical therapy or psychotherapy. Um, and how do we understand that in a way that is in alignment with its philosophical context? So because of that interest, that has led me into studying polyvagal theory and working with Dr. Stephen Porges and looking at autonomic regulation and how that um, can be used to understand how we integrate yoga for body-mind regulation and resilience. And the other one that also kind of um, integrates into that is the study of meaning and purpose, um, which aligns with a more spiritual well-being or this other concept that I just am in love with, which is uh, eudaimonic well-being that mm-hmm. comes from Aristotle. Oh, tell us more about that. Okay, so Aristotle taught a term called eudaimonia, and the uh, term is about um, what it means to have lived a well-purposed, well-meaning life. So when you looked back at your life, you would, you would say, wow, I lived to my highest fulfillment, I flourished. 
And research has taken that term to, to create something, to create a term called eudaimonic well-being. And so eudaimonic well-being is connected to meaning and purpose, quality social relationships, living in alignment with one's values, feeling a sense of authenticity and um, integrity. And what's been found in research is when people are connected to this sense of meaning and purpose in particular, but also eudaimonic well-being, they live longer. Um, and that's irrespective of things like gender or race or physical activity or comorbidities. Um, it's also related to decreased pain intensity, mm. decreased pain interfering with people's activities, and less pain medication use. So there's this really nice, robust body of research that discusses how connection to meaning and purpose has a positive outcome on physiological and mental health. And in yoga philosophy, there's this beautiful concept called Dharma, which is about when I am in harmony with my values, um, I can find a way of living where my inner harmony is resonant with my outer harmony, where my inner life is, in, is congruent with my outer life. So that as I live in alignment with my values, I find a way of living that supports both myself and others to greater flourishing and fulfillment. Um, and so because there's this, this root of yoga philosophy that really feeds into eudaimonic well-being in many amazing ways, which I can talk about here and it's also in the books, um, we can look at instead of like asana for like postures for low back pain or breathing techniques for um, you know, stress relief, we can instead say, how do we help cultivate greater meaning and purpose, alignment with one's values? And when we create more alignment with one's values, that creates this cascade of greater autonomic nervous system regulation, greater physiological health, greater mental health. I love this. This is, this is, um, uh, fills me up. It is, I feel, part of my dharma. Uh, when I was, some, some of uh, the listeners know when I was in my 20s, I was in a very lost uh, spot. I essentially lost my, my purpose in life um, due to an injury. And um, it was really when I found that purpose again, that a lot of the pain and quote unquote suffering I was going through began to diminish. And it was uh, this feeling of hope that that kept me going. And I, I love that there's, there's research supporting it now. Um, but someone may ask like, okay, what does meaning and purpose mean? Does that just mean like my job? Uh, can you describe that a, a bit more? Yeah. So one of the things Aristotle talked about was um, something called eudaimonic happiness and hedonic happiness. So eudaimonic happiness was when you were in alignment with meaning and purpose and it created like a steadfast contentment versus hedonic happiness, which fluctuates, it comes and goes. So it's like enjoying a sunny day or enjoying a movie, which is great, but those are two different things. And what the research has found is that um, the changes in physiological effect of eudaimonic well-being are not the same as hedonic well-being. Mm. So that when we're connected to much more, so meaning and purpose in this context is about that meaning and purpose that allows you to experience steadfast contentment. And when we're connected to that, we have very different physiological outcomes, including inflammation, 
salivary cortisol immune system than we do with hedonic happiness. The research has shown how they both have similar like affective outcomes where the person will say they feel better. However, like the actual physical health outcomes are very different when you're connected to both. Oh, I love that. So how would someone, like if someone felt, oh, well, this is resonating. I, I do possibly need to seek more about more of this, what would be uh, some first steps to get them started? Do you mean like in reading some research about it or do you mean like in personal practice? Maybe a bit of both. Okay. <laughs> so as far as the research, um, there's, there's a, a person named Stephen Cole, um, mm -hmm. as well as another researcher, Fredrickson. So if you look them up on like PubMed, you would find their articles and the research behind these physiological effects of eudaimonic well-being. There's also another person named Carol Riff. Um, so there's those researchers um, and the two books also has, have them in there. Um, and as far as a personal practice, um, I'm gonna answer it in two different ways. So one way is that you know, working with people that can help you explore your meaning and purpose, such as working with a yoga therapist or working with um, some kind of life coach or even mm -hmm. psychologist. So there are those ways. But then to give some very practical ways here, um, one of my favorite practices that also comes from Aristotle is this idea of um, the golden mean, which means that um, you could take any value, anything that was important to you. So say like compassion was important to you and you could say, okay, um, I, this quality of compassion I want to cultivate. What is too much compassion look like? And what does too little compassion look like? Mm. So you could take any value and you could look at the excess or the deficiency if you had too much or too little. So like too much compassion might mean that you feel so strongly with other people that you don't create good boundaries or you yes. don't protect yourself or you're not safe. And then of course, too little compassion is, you know, being mean and not right. caring about others. So you would, you would write these two on this continuum and then you would think to yourself, where do I lie? Do I lie towards being a little bit too little or a little bit too much? And then what would it mean to find that middle ground? So Aristotle said you would take every value that was important to you and you would do this reflection. And as you do that, you would naturally find your way to this eudaimonic happiness. Um, so I think, you know, yoga has this exact reflection with the yamas and niyamas. If you take any, um, and sometimes when people think of the yamas and niyamas, they think of the yoga sutras, but the Bhagavad Gita has over 30. Mm -hmm. So you could take anything, kindness, pa patience, compassion, whatever is important to you and reflect on what it means, what is the excess, what is the deficiency. What I like to do in yoga practice is really make it a somatic experience. So even contemplating like what is the felt sense of too much and too little? Mm. Is there a posture that I could safely assume that would help me feel too much or too little of it so that I can come into that optimal balance of it and feel what my body feels like when I'm in that optimal balance? Yes, that's, that's so wonderful because I think sometimes uh, with a lot of my patients, myself included, is like we do things that are, you know, good for us, like a yoga, a therapeutic yoga practice, for example, for the low back, like you're describing more of the physical postures, but maybe we overdo and force and, and overstretch and that can contribute to more pain. So more of that somatic, mat, somatic feeling of slowing down 
and really experiencing what you're sensing. But I love the, the value component as well. So you must read a lot of Aristotle then, huh? <laughs> I've read some. <laughs> I, I, know, I know that there's, you know, scholars that have read much more. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. When I first met my husband, um, his father has a PhD in philosophy. So he has read a lot of the great books. And um, I, you, I love going on hikes with them. And even though my husband, he wasn't a yogi when I first met him, I felt like he had a lot of sutras dear and here, uh, dear to his heart just from growing up in this philosophical world. Um, and you hinted to this already, um, how the polyvagal, and some of us, some of the listeners might not really know what the autonomic nervous system means. So can we first define that and then we'll bring the polyvagal theory into all of this? Yeah. Um, so the autonomic nervous system is that part of our nervous system that will function without our conscious voluntary control. So for example, it regulate, it uh, controls your breath. Like we don't have to think about breathing. It controls things like, you know, the dilation of your eyes, um, your heart rate that your heart is going to beat regardless, you know? Um, and the, the, I guess the easiest way to think about the autonomic nervous system that we commonly think about it is that sympathetic, the fight or flight, mm -hmm. or the relaxation response. So in a relaxation response, uh, the autonomic nervous system help, decreases the heart rate, decreases the blood pressure, helps to uh, really help digestive processes happen. Whereas in a sympathetic response, the autonomic nervous system is going to um, increase your heart rate in order to meet the demands of the environment, increase respiratory rate, increase blood pressure, and shunt um, activation away from digestion because you don't need it when you're in danger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, running from the lions, tigers, and bears. And, and Stephen brought in a, a third uh, realm, isn't that correct? Yeah, so Dr. Porges wrote polyvagal theory. He developed it over many years. And um, to me, there's a couple really key pieces that I utilize. Um, and um, I, on Frontiers of Human Neuroscience, I have a paper with him on this convergence of yoga and polyvagal theory. And what he said, so two of the things that I really draw upon are that he found that the vagus nerve, which is that primary conduit of the relaxation response, actually has two functions. So it, it has two origination sites. So when the relaxation response is activated, when we perceive safety in our environment, and it's not really when we perceive safety, it's when our nervous system perceives safety in the environment, which is what he calls neuroception, mm -hmm. then the vagus nerve helps to create that physiological restoration. When we perceive what, what he found is that the, there's this other spot of the vagus nerve, the dorsal motor nucleus, when that's activated, it's activated in response to really severe life threats. Um, and when that happens, it actually slows our resources to the least amount necessary for survival. It's different than freeze. So freeze response still has that sympathetic activation. You have cortisol racing through your system. However, um, the best example is like when a cat catches a mouse, the mouse, instead of the mouse being rigid necessarily, it will become limp. It'll slow its heart rate, slow its respiratory rate, um, body temperature lowers. So the cat really thinks it's dead and will let it go and then it can run off. So he found this other function of um, the vagus nerve through the dorsal motor nucleus that is responsible for that. And, and psychologists have really 
uh, jumped onto this theory because it describes what they see in the clinic with extreme trauma. Mm -hmm. um, so that's uh, so that's one piece of the theory. The other piece that I think is really important for what we do in yoga therapy and physical therapy is that this idea that our autonomic nervous system state underlies our physiological, emotional, and behavioral response, and it connects them. So it really helps us look at our physiology, emotions, and behaviors as connected entities. So that when my nervous system perceives danger, it activates, and then the emotions that are more likely to be experienced in that physiological activation are fear, anxiety, and worry, and my behaviors will be fight or flight. When I'm in the relaxation response and my nervous system perceives safety, the emotions I have access to are things like calm and connection, compassion, peace, love, um, and those are the behaviors as well. That's that social connection, social engagement. Um, and then the dorsal, um, the dorsal vagal complex, when that's activated, when there's extreme life threat, there's more dissociative states. And, it, you know, and, and part of the importance of that is when you have a client or if you are in a state of sympathetic arousal, like there's a lot of anxiety or worry or, or something like that, the idea of, of like creating a meditation about calm seems really fake and it doesn't always work. Whereas instead, if you shift the autonomic state with breath techniques, with movement, then that can naturally ease you into greater likelihood of connecting to peace and ease. Does that make sense? Yes, I love this. And it, it can also be, um, you know, dependent upon, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but life stories are, you know, are, perce are perceived thought of danger. You know, it can, like, for example, a bus itself can be neutral. However, um, depending upon the scenario that the bus is in, like if we got caught in a hole in the middle of the street and the bus is bearing down on us, we're going to perceive the bus as dangerous. And so we go into fight or flight. But that can also be applied to um, many life scenarios, like in not in extreme danger. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's why he really talks about it as um, neuroception. Instead of saying, I perceive danger, it's not about you. It's mm -hmm. about this physiological perception that can be also based on beliefs and those kinds of things. Yeah. I, I've been um, exploring this work with my patients because sometimes, um, you know, how they're perceiving danger or um, based upon like just learned knowledge of past experiences or what they've been taught, that sort of thing uh, can trigger them into a fight or flight, which is then exacerbating a lot of the pain and inflammation they have. Um, but then, you know, if we're able to, like you um, suggested, shift to the autonomic through breath, through movement, uh, also um, working and becoming aware of like the thought patterns, yeah. then we're able to move into the, the parasympathetic with a, a bit more ease. And we can work with these values that you're suggesting because a lot of the times when the value system is aligned and we're able to access that and feel like we have our boundaries secure or it's not in deficiency or excess, then we can also regulate the, or, um, you know, uh, access the parasympathetic nervous system with a bit more ease and, and fluidity, I think. 
Yeah, and I think that's where yoga really adds something to um, polyvagal theory and this idea of autonomic regulation is that one of our core teachings is this development of discernment, of mm -hmm. noticing how you're responding in the body and the mind. So, so when people begin to work on it, they begin to notice, oh, whenever I get only this much sleep or I eat this food or I have this interaction with a person, it's not actually dangerous, but they begin mm -hmm. to realize how their body is responding as dangerous. And then they can begin, they can learn how to um, re reframe how they and reappraise how they react to stimuli. And then just because when you were talking about this, I just wanted to add this one piece. Yeah. He also talks about um, that a lot of times we think about sympathetic and parasympathetic as dichotomous, right. but they're not. And so he uh, talks about this idea of safe mobilization. So, so like, for example, when we're dancing or when we're playing or when you're in an active yoga posture like bridge, your sympathetic system can be activated because you're, you know, doing more work with the body. However, you can still perceive safety. So one of the wonderful things we do in yoga is help teach people how to widen that window of tolerance. I was doing some research on um, aerobic exercise, and there's a similar concept in that work which is it called um, about anxiety sensitivity. So Ooh. like when people um, have an anxiety uh, disorder, they will often feel that increase in heart rate, um, blood pressure and those kinds of things and that'll worsen their anxiety. So if they can learn to do aerobic exercise and see that they're still safe, Ooh. then that can change their reaction to a mobilized system. So we can use yoga practices to help someone see what their habitual reactions to different positions are, different amounts of work are, and then to begin to change those reactions. Yeah, that's so great. That is, that is like a huge, um, what you just said, so much, a wealth of information, right, in there for one person to work with, you know? <laughs> I yeah, and like it. you were saying earlier, you can really see where the, these ideas of autonomic regulation begin to feed into the idea of eudaimonic well-being and meaning and purpose and living with values so that we can use this idea of autonomic regulation to come into uh, greater receptivity and understanding of how to live in alignment with our values and our meaning and purpose. Yeah, that's so awesome. Just to put it lightly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love all the work that you're doing and I really think it's going to change the research that you're putting out like thank you so much for your patience and diligence like and attention to detail in all of this because it's really going to change the forefront of um, you know physical therapists how how we can opening up this window of different ways to to help people I, I really think it's going to change the forefront of um, going forward in in physical therapy and other Western medicine um, branches. Yeah, and you can really see that starting. We I, with uh, Shelley and Neil and another physical therapist, Matthew Taylor. We mm -hmm. actually just wrote a white paper. It should be coming out soon on yoga and pain. And um, Matthew Taylor was on a task force for pain care, and yoga was actually in the uh, spiritual care piece of it. Um, and the, you know, the, I think the world, meaning like healthcare providers, healthcare payers, government entities um, are really starting to understand in chronic pain syndromes or chronic illnesses, there's this other piece that needs to be added to care. And there's, um, 
different like policies that have begun to be implemented that will make it easier for people to access these kinds of practices. Yeah, and more acceptable where it's not considered to be. I remember when I um, first started physical therapy and was practicing yoga, it was considered, I felt at times, just because there was a lack of education of all the different types of yoga and possibilities of yoga and how it was more than just the physical practice that, you know, A, either someone was going to get injured or B, that it was kind of this out there uh hippie kind of thing, you know, and in reality, um, it's very accessible to people and um, there is really a, a part that can fit a variety of different lifestyles and um, starting points even. Yeah, and that's what I love about, you know, looking at these scientific frameworks like eudaimonia and um, polyvagal theory is I'm not trying to say that they're... Um, the exact same thing. But mm -hmm. what I am trying to help build awareness of is that we have these scientific physiological frameworks that actually reflect what yoga's intention is, which is about the alleviation of suffering and the alleviation of suffering through changing the relationship we have with life, changing the relationship we have with our body, with what happens in our body over time, changing the relationship with what happens in our mind, um, and changing in relationship what happens in our life so that yoga is giving us the tools to do these things. And if we can help frame that in language that the medical field and other pe just people in general can understand, that's a really powerful thing. Yeah, and it's so transformative. Like for, for someone coming in thinking that, you know, it's just a back problem, it can be life life-changing yeah. which is amazing to to witness like being on the other side watching like personally i've gone through that myself and just watching others really transform it, it's such a gift yeah i love that well thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and your time and coming on here would you like to uh, share any parting words of wisdom with someone that would like to get started or just general advice um I think, you know, in a way what you were just saying that there's so much transformative power we have when we look at how our values shape our lives and how we interact with other people and how we can support other people. That yoga practice isn't really meant to be this individual isolationist practice, that it's really meant to help you to come into more peace, equanimity, quality positive relationships with yourself that can then become more positive relationships with others and with how you interact with life itself. And so that it's, a, it's just a really powerful practice we have of transformation. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this excites me. I can't wait for your book to come out. Huge congratulations. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. Uh, it's, uh, it, I'm so appreciative of it and I definitely use it. Thank you. I really appreciate getting to meet you and, and talk to you. Yeah. Wait, before you go on and make sure you know about the upcoming free online yoga masterclass. This class is yoga for the entrepreneur to level up your yoga to achieve more success in your business. And even if you aren't an entrepreneur, most likely you have an entrepreneur mindset, then this class is perfect for you as well. We're going to go over ways to reduce distracting aches and pains, boost energy, 
and reduce stress. Also, you can have more creativity and more productivity in your business. So if you've ever felt like you're sitting at your desk trying to write a proposal, but you're distracted by that nagging low back soreness, then, that, then this class is for you. Or if you've ever felt like your creativity is stifled by stress, worries, anxiety, then this class is for you. Or if you're having trouble sleeping at night or feel exhausted and drained throughout the day, so then you're not as productive. Again, or think of troubleshooting or problem-solving techniques and tips for your business, then this class is definitely for you. Head over to the show notes for the link to save your seat. This class will be July 30th at noon Pacific Standard Time. If, you, if you're listening to this podcast and it's past that date, just head over to the show notes for the free Facebook uh, Ignite Your Wellness community online so you can make sure to stay up to date when more uh, free online classes will be in the future. Bye for now.